Bibles, if you're there, Revelation chapter 9, and as you're turning there, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think, church, is the most serious sin that a person can commit? The most serious sin that a person can commit. You know, some would say uh, maybe some act of perversion would be the serious sin that someone can commit. And some pretty pretty messed up acts of perversion that are happening today in, in the world and things that just blow our minds. You know, just how could something like that happen to someone like that? Uh, maybe someone would say uh, some act of, uh, an act of perpetration. In other words, hurting someone else, maybe murdering some innocent child. Or uh, That's a horrible, serious sin. Murder is. But the Bible speaks, Scripture speaks of the most serious sin that someone can commit being the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is a sin against God himself. The third person in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Spirit of the living God. In Matthew chapter number 12 and verse 31, on the screen I have the scripture that teaches this uh, to, to be this, wherefore I say unto you that all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. There is a sin that will not be forgiven. And in order for us to understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand the Holy Spirit, why the Holy Spirit was sent into the world. Why was the Holy Spirit sent to this world? Well, we know He was sent to comfort us, and He does provide comfort. And I'm thankful for that comfort. He has comforted me in many times that I've needed it. The Holy Spirit is here to give us strength, and I know that we need strength. And So the Holy Spirit, there are, there are other purposes for Him to, to be in this world and to, and to be in our lives. But John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, tells us exactly what the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away, Jesus said. He's still on earth. He's saying, I'm going to go away. But, but if I go away, I'm, the, the, if, I, if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, here is what he will do. Here is what all of us need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit is. He will come to reprove the world of sin. Let's stop right there for just a moment and think about that sin. In other words, that's wrong. Yo, bro, sis, stop it. Don't do that. That's wrong. It's conviction. That's why the Holy Spirit has come into the world. To reprove, to convict the world of sin. What's wrong? But secondly, notice he's come also to approve the world of righteousness. That's right. Don't do that. Do that. Don't do wrong. Do right. Conviction. Convict the world of sin. Convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. Judgment to come. In other words, there's coming a day when we will give an account for the decisions we made about the first two. Did we do what was right 
or did we do what was wrong? And we will give an account. So that's what the work of the Holy Spirit is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is resisting the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit of God comes. He convicts. He says, don't do that. And we say, I don't really care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. We then refuse the work of the Spirit. Refusing the Holy Spirit's work is blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit. I, I refuse to do what the Bible says. I refuse to do what the Spirit of God says that I should do. And then rejecting the work of the Spirit is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He's come to convict the world of sin, to convict it of righteousness, to convict it of judgment to come. And so when we resist and refuse and reject that work, if God is trying to tell you something and you're like, no, uh-uh, now that, that, that's, I, I'm not going to do that. You can't recover from that. The Bible describes that as hardening your heart. So real quick, play that, Dave, just a little bit. The song we just sang. Turn it up. Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every That's your prayer this morning. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every word. Come and speak Come and So we sang that song a moment ago. We sang it because the message is exactly what the Holy Spirit of God is trying to do to everyone in this room. He is trying to speak to us. He has a message this morning for all of us. And so the question that that we need to answer is, what is going to be our response to the Spirit's conviction? What is going to be our response to what the Holy Spirit of God wants to say to all of us today? So why do people harden their hearts in the first place? Very dangerous to harden your heart. Very dangerous to harden your heart towards the Holy Spirit. And if you are in that process, you are marching in a direction that will destroy you. And if you don't stop and turn around and come back while you can, you are heading for the only sin that cannot be forgiven. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why do people do that? I'm going to give you three reasons why people do that, and I'm going to give you some thoughts in between those reasons. But let's talk about reasons why people harden their hearts. First of all, because they don't see the obvious. And some of us here this morning see the obvious. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9 as we see this process of hardening your heart. You say, Pastor, we are in Revelation. This should be about prophecy. Well, what we're doing in Revelation is we're not so much emphasizing, though we are talking about the prophecy and what the things that are to come. We're emphasizing where it, how it looks for those of us that are still living on planet Earth because the truth is Jesus is coming and we ought to be concerned about how we're living. 
And sometimes I think when we get caught up in prophecy, all we're thinking about is the things to come and not the things that are. There's still time to live. There's still things to do. There's still uh, a, a, a city that needs to be reached with, with the gospel. In verse 1, it says this fifth angel sounded. So we've got a trumpet that's being sounded, a, a trumpet of judgment. And the fifth angel sounds this trumpet. And John says, I saw. Now, one, one of the things we need to realize is, you know, we ask a lot of questions about Revelation. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Well, what, what is that all about? Listen, the best thing that we can do when we read Revelation to remember what John is doing is he's describing what he saw. So when we read it and we say, well, what is that? It's what he saw. Just keep it simple. It's what John saw. He saw a star fall from heaven. That star, star I believe, to be Satan because the truth is the book of Isaiah speaks of an angel that fell from heaven. And that angel was Satan, Lucifer himself. It was a very influential angel in the heavens at one time. But he decided to rebel against God. And when he did, he took a third of the stars with him. And there's other scriptures that speak to that. And this star fell from heaven to the earth. And to him, this star is a person. To him, Satan. To him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is spoken of throughout Scripture. Luke chapter 8 says it's a place where demons are. Romans chapter 10 says it's the final abode of the dead. In Revelation 9, in just a moment, we're going to see that the Bible speaks of smoke comes out of this pit. In Revelation chapter 11, the Bible says that the beast will rise from this pit. In Revelation 20, it speaks of Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years in this pit. In Revelation 20, it speaks of this pit as being a prison. The bottomless pit. This star, this angel, this, this, uh, this, this devil, Satan himself, falls from heaven to the earth. He has the keys to the bottomless, bottomless pit. We see in that verse that there is a heaven and there is a hell. That's obvious to me. You? It's obvious to me that there's two places that people go. Anybody know where those two places are when you die? You either go where? Heaven or hell. Why? It's obvious. I mean, it's obvious to me that there's right and there's what? Wrong. It's obvious to me. There's a right, there's a wrong. There's a heaven, there is a hell. But some people don't see the obvious. Some people just don't see that. It isn't obvious to some people. Why? Well, Scripture tells us why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world had blinded. Key word, church. Don't miss that word. We'll come back to it later. Blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. God, I want to see you for all that you are. But the devil has blinded the, the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 speaks of the natural man. He receives not the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. They're just foolishness. That's crazy. But there's a heaven, there's a hell. That's stupid. But there's right, there's wrong. No, there's no right, wrong. Just whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. 
ah, why can't you see it? It's foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. First reason why people harden their hearts is they just don't see the obvious. Secondly, because they won't see what's coming. They won't see what's coming. You see, some of the reasons why we have the book of Revelation is so we can see what's coming and make adjustments. Sentence. Say it again, Eric. Some of the reason why the book of Revelation was written is so that we could see what's coming and make adjustments. We're warned, aren't we? We're warned about some things. Yesterday I was sitting in a restaurant with uh, uh, Kevin and Paula Connor. I don't know if they're here this morning. Are they in the building this morning? Kevin and Paula get to come? They might, uh, they might be here tonight. Missionaries to China. And uh, we took them out last night for Valentine's dinner. When we were in the restaurant, an alarm went off. It was loud. And the restaurant was packed and there were 75 to 100 people waiting to get in. I highly recommend making reservations online. It works. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm walking past all these people smiling like, I'm in here, man. <laughs> and so we go inside the restaurant and, and a few minutes into our meal, a loud alarm goes off and I and everyone else in the restaurant didn't move. We just carried on with our conversation. Kept talking. I mean, I looked around and said, that's kind of strange. What that is. So anyway, now you guys, well, tell me about this. An alarm is going off in the restaurant. Nobody moves. Nobody runs. Nobody even says, hey, well, is, is everything okay? Nobody. You know, I'm sure that was the same reaction as hundreds of people in the Twin Towers on 9-11. There were people in that building when the alarm went off that didn't exactly know what was going on. And while terrorists attacked our country and took the lives of nearly 3,000 people in those buildings, there were folks just kind of walking around, and then all of a sudden, reality began to set in. Maybe it was when a body came flying down the side of the building. Maybe it was when smoke began to fill the room. Maybe it was when someone, they heard someone scream, bloody murder. And all of a sudden, reality began to, to set in. And, and reality replaced complacency. And you see, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Reality is going to replace complacency. And the church is complacent today. And people are complacent today. Many are complacent because they've just hardened their hearts. Nothing's moving them. Nothing's stirring them. They don't get anything out of the worship service. They come, sit, soak, and sour. Why? The hardening of the heart. And what needs to happen is the reality of future events, reality of what's going to happen, the reality of all that God is saying in Revelation chapter 9 needs to replace complacency. You see, chapter 9 gives us stark reality. We're not reading a fairy tale. We're reading reality. 
This is going to happen. And the details of this show us the severity of God's wrath. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. Let's just go through it. And obviously, with as many notes as I have, and the majority of my notes come in the last third of the message, but I do. I would ask that you just, just let the Spirit of the living God speak. Verse 2 says, And he opened the bottomless pit. He, Satan, opened this pit. And when he opened it, there arose a smoke out of the pit. Now this smoke is mentioned three times in this verse, so pay attention. As the smoke, second time it's mentioned, of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Why is this smoke rising out of this pit? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. The smoke of their torment. This smoke is the smoke of the torment of people who are in this pit. People who are in a place, a a horrible place, and smoke, the smoke of the torment of those who are in this place is rising up, ascending up out of this pit. Verse 3, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power, these locusts, you know, I was just curious about locusts on earth today, and so I, I, I researched a little bit. And I, uh, Ken's out of town this weekend. Hasey's doing a great job in the, in the booth, but I, I normally would have tried to get a few last-minute details because I'm, I'm working on my message. I've got to be honest, up until about 9.30, I'm, I'm just, I get here early, and I'm just trying to see anything else I can do to, or the Holy Spirit can tell me to do. But I did look up uh, locusts and found that uh, recently in places like Egypt, there are there are attacks of locusts, of millions of locusts. I mean, where you cannot even see your hand in front of your face right now on the earth you live in. And, and these locusts the Bible speaks of often in the book of Revelation are going, the Bible says, to descend upon the earth and they're going to have power. As the scorpions of the earth have power. I don't like scorpions. You like scorpions? I don't like scorpions. I, I, I picked up a scorpion by accident the other day in the house. We had a scorpion in our house. This is not good, folks. This is not good. And I, I see this thing crawling. I just pick it up, and I'm like, dude, what is this? And, and I think it was Mo was in the house. He's that's a scorpion. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> what is a scorpion doing in our house? And then I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 9. Lord, please help it not to be hot springs that these locusts come. But this locust that I picked up wasn't anything like the locust described in Scripture. Look at verse 4. It was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. So these locusts could not do what they like to do. They like to eat green stuff. Locusts normally would be after the green stuff. They'd be after the grass. But these locusts have been commanded, do not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. Stay away from the trees, but only those men. Hey, locust, here's your job. Your job is to only hurt the men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Anybody who doesn't have the seal of God in their foreheads. We know that would have been the 144,000, but by now, no doubt, there are many tribulation saints. 
Many people who have trusted God and there is some kind of protective shield and God's supernatural strength is only God can do it and, and I can't explain it, sorry. But somehow God is protecting all of those who have the seal of God in their forehead but not those who do not, which is the majority of the world. Verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them. Don't kill them. Just torment them. Five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. So I looked up the definition of scorpion. Let me tell you something, folks. It ain't a fun definition to read. These things are mean. These things are wicked. These things are, oh, scorpions are terrible. Here's a scorpion that is striking a man and putting poison in a man. And the pain that that poison causes doesn't kill him. He just... He lives through this torture. And the shapes of the locusts were like in the horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns like gold. And their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women. I can imagine they must, they must be long hair. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. You say... Well, what does that mean? That, that means they, they had hair like a woman and they had teeth like a lion. You ever seen a locust with teeth that are three inches long? Because that's how, that's how long a lion's teeth are. Let me tell you something. When a lion gets a hold of something, it doesn't walk away. Okay? Lion's a vicious animal. Either it kills you or you kill it. It's not like, hey, it's been a good fight. God bless you. Have a good day. No. Somebody's going to get really bad hurt. And they had hairs, hair of a woman, verse 9. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. About this time, in reading this passage in my office, I just closed my eyes and took a few minutes to try to place myself in this, in, in this moment of time. I mean, just Seeing Sometimes it's easier to visualize things with your eyes closed, if you know what I mean. Somewhat, we, our, our, our minds are able to work as we visualize these tens of thousands upon thousands of locusts and scorpions and, 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 and the war that's taking place and the chariots and all of the things that are going on in our minds. Trying to picture it is, is an incredible thing. They had tails like in the scorpions. They were stings in their tails and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. By the way, I was just thinking about this, thinking about 911. I would think that these men who could not die would want to die, wouldn't you? It says they couldn't die, but I would think they'd want to die. And then I thought about those people on the building at 911 who said, you know what, the pain I'm receiving. Now, and what it looks like I will die from, it would be better to jump off this building and know I will die than to go through that torture. They chose to die. Here people would choose to die, but they can't. They can't. That's just a thought that came to my mind just now. And they had a king over them. He's the king. He's the God of this world. He's Satan. That's the king. The star from verse number one is over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. He's given a couple more names in Scripture. He's got a lot of names, but here's a couple more. In Hebrew, it would be Abaddon. In the Greek tongue, it would be Apollyon. Woe 
One woe is past, and behold, there came two woes more hereafter. And so now we're at the sixth trumpet. In chapter 9, the sixth trumpet sounds, the sixth judgment. And he hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, the altar of incense this is speaking about. Says to the sixth angel, which had the trumpets, loose the four angels. These angels would have been demons. These were not God's angels because God's angels aren't bound. These are angels that were bound and needed to be loosed. And it shows that God has supreme authority even over the demons. They're pawns in his hands. He looses these four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed which were prepared for an hour, a day, a month, a year. God, this is not disorganized. This is not craziness. This is not something going on that has no, no purpose. All of this was planned by God to happen by the second, by the minute, by the day, by the By the year, God is in total control here. Total control. And the purpose of these angels was to slay the third part of men. Already, I believe it was in Revelation 6 or 7, we had a fourth part of the earth killed. Now we have a third part of the earth killed, which according to my calculations, if there's six billion people on planet earth and a quarter of the earth is already killed in Revelation chapter 6, then that would be 4.5 billion people left on earth because 1.5 billion would be a quarter of the earth. Then a third of what was left of the earth, which would be a third of 4.5 billion, is another 1.5 billion. 1.5 plus 1.5 is 3 billion of 6 billion. is half the earth now is dead. Now, I don't know. It, you know, I, I, I read mass executions and, and, and mass catastrophes and and density-wise, what is the, the largest number of people that have died per capita, per population? And the largest in the last many years is Haiti. Haiti lost 11% of its country in that, in that great catastrophe it went through just recently. 11% of the country was dead. This is 50% of the world is dead. Bodies in the streets. I mean, just the, the sheer power to kill 3 billion people. Is, is my body. But we're reading scripture that tells us John saw this. And the number of the army of the horsemen, get this. You see, well, how do you kill, how do three billion people die? And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. Anybody want to know how many that is? That's an army of 200 million. It's a big army. 200 million. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. And these three, these three meaning fire, smoke, and brimstone, these three was the third part of men killed. They were either killed by fire, they were either killed by, brimstone, by smoke, or they were killed by brimstone. One of those three things wiped out these, this, this, this third part of the world. And the power was in their mouth and in their tails, for the tails were likened to serpents and had heads with them. They do hurt. Let's stop right there for just a moment. What I've just done is I've taken a moment to read about the wrath of God that's being poured out on man. You see, God has already poured out his wrath on his son 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Can I get an amen right there? It's the truth. God poured out his wrath on his son. You know why he did that? So that Jesus Christ could die for the sins of mankind. 
But now we're beyond the rapture. Now we're beyond a time where now the wrath of God that was once poured out on his son is now being poured out as prophesied on mankind. God has finally had enough. And I want to praise God right now that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you won't be here when this stuff happens. Amen. But if you are here and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, please turn from your sins. Trust Him today because you're, you, you'll not be able to flee from the wrath that is to come, Scripture says. You'll not be able to get away from this. And thank God for His grace to spare us from what we deserve Thank God for His grace. It is only His grace that we've been spared from what we deserve. We deserve chapter 9. We deserve to be in that chapter. But by God's grace, if you've been saved, thank God you you won't get what you deserve. Now, wouldn't you think that churches would be filled with a message like this? Wouldn't you think that people would just run to the altars? Wow! Wow! Oh, pastor, that's it. Oh, thank you for sharing that. that, that oh, my goodness, that's, that's true. I've just never read it like that. Thank you, Pastor. This is powerful. This is so needed. Oh, God, I, I want to get right. I want to get saved. I want to get right. I want to get on fire. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think that would be the response? Churches all over America would be filled. There wouldn't be room enough to receive them. We'd have to have multiple, multiple, multiple services. Wouldn't you think that? But this is the danger of hardening your heart. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7 says it like this. Again, he limited a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time, it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice. Today, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Don't walk away. Don't say no, because every time you say no, you get closer and closer and closer to where it's not a matter of you, you won't hear, it's you can't hear. And there is no chance for you to be saved. The Bible tells us this over and over again, because this is so dangerous. Harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. If you harden your heart against the Holy Spirit, it gets harder and harder. It gets worse and worse. And every day of rebellion makes it harder and harder to get to God. Every day. It's serious to harden your heart. Notice here in verse number 20 just how hard their hearts were. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. The rest of the men, half the world, right? Everybody, look look at it. What does it say? Yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Even in the face of judgment, they stayed with this. I'm right, God's wrong. Even in the face of judgment... They would not convert. They repented not. Even in the face of the preacher preaching the truth and giving it all he's got and and, and asking the Holy Spirit of God to move, even in the face of all of that conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, they still walk out of church and say, whatever. Bunch of kooks in there. Bunch of crazies raising their hands, worshiping somebody they can't even see. So stupid. 
hardening their hearts. That's the danger. You'll come to a place where you don't care, and then you come to a place where you can't care. You can't. It's the most serious sin in the Bible. It's the most serious sin in the Bible. So why do people do this? Why do people do this? I think Scripture teaches us why, honestly, from Revelation chapter 9. First of all, let me say this. The third main point as to why people harden their hearts is they can't see their true condition. They just can't see their true condition. They don't see the obvious. They won't see what's coming, and they can't see their true condition. What is the true condition of everybody sitting in this room, in the city of Hot Springs, and on planet Earth? The condition of everybody is what? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Every one of us are sinners. So why, why can't we see our true condition? Because sin is blinding, Brother Bush. It's blinding. Listen, the further you get into sin, the less capacity you have to see what it truly is. It's kind of like someone who does something really awful, and, you, and you're like, it blows your mind, and you're like, how could they do that? Well, it started when they were looking at pornography on their computer and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they just said, no, I'm still watching. And can I tell you, soft porn turns into hard porn, and hard porn turns into, and I'm going to stop right there because honestly, I don't know what all it gets into. I just know that it's ended in a lot of murders and sex trafficking and a lot of horrible things that blow my mind. But honestly, when sin blinds, it causes you to do things. You, you, the, the more you don't respond, the less your capacity to see sin for what it really is. And so when it's all said and done, you wonder, how did I get to this place? Sin is blinding. And after sin blinds, it begins to bind. It just gets you in shackles. And you're, you can't hardly go anywhere without your sin. And then it grinds you, and it just destroys you. And, and everything that God had in store for you, God is not willing that any should perish. Amen, Eric, that's a good preaching. Thank you for saying that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all of us to repent. Just some of us say, no, God, I'm not repenting. This feels too good. I'm going to do what I want to do. Notice the five blinding things about sin in the text as we close the message. The first blinding thing about sin is found in verse number 20. Do you see it? And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands. The works of their hands. What were these works? Well, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. What is a God that can't see, can't hear, and can't walk? What is it? He's... He's dead. It's a dead God. It's not a living God. I serve a risen Savior. Amen? Our God is alive. The tomb is empty, church. Well, we, listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting excited about the tomb being empty. Unless you're under deep Holy Ghost conviction about something I've already said. That, that ought to excite some of you. We don't serve a dead God. 
He's not made with hands, church. So what's the first sin that's blinding? Hey, idolatry is blinding. Self-made gods. That's what the Scripture's teaching here. They've made a God themselves. That's what the first four of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 deal with. Worshiping anything else but the one true God. The first four commandments. Just fill in the blank. Have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. Can you hear the voice of God this morning? Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Don't take God's name in vain. By the way, I'm getting real sick and tired of hearing gosh. I'm getting, I'm telling you, it's driving me crazy how many people say that. Gosh. Oh, God. That's God's name. It's to be revered. It's to be worshipped. It's not to be said in slang. Pray, tell me, what does gosh mean? Tell me, church. Help me. I need to know. What does it mean? Gosh. Oh, gosh. Or somebody say, oh, gosh, darn the other day. And I thought, Lord, have mercy. What have we come to? The name of God means nothing to us anymore. Keep the Sabbath day. Be in church. Don't choose golf over God. Don't choose your hobbies over God. You say, Pastor, what are you so passionate about? I'm passionate about what God said. This is God's word. So the question comes, what in my life, what in your life is more important to you than God? That's the question. What self-made God have you made? Your career? Your reputation, your fame, your private sin that nobody knows about, you think? Money? Idolatry is a blinding sin. Number two, look at the second one. Verse 21, neither repented they of their Murders. I'm good here, preacher. I've never murdered anyone. Well, have you hated someone? 1 John 3.15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer, no, no murderer, Nobody that hates his brother has eternal life in him. No one. You hate somebody? Hatred is blinding. Blinding. It's unforgiveness. Is there someone you hate? Is there someone on this earth that you wish harm to? You despise them in your heart? You refuse to forgive them? Honestly? You'd just be happy if they weren't around. That's why hatred is like murder. It's just like murder. Because if you could kill them and get away with it, you would. Hatred. All hatred is sin. And it's blinding sin. The Bible says we should forgive as we have been, what? Forgiven. Listen. Don't sit here right now and rationalize your sin. 
Well, or like you just don't understand. Don't do that. Repent. Don't rationalize. Number three. Neither repent that they of their murder, nor of their sorceries. The word sorceries here is the word in the Greek, pharmakon. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. So we're dealing with substances, legal or illegal. Sorceries, that's what the Bible calls them. Pharmacon, pharmacy, substances, legal or illegal, that keep me from dealing with the issues in my life that are sin. Now, I'm not saying today that prescriptions are wrong. I understand everybody has a prescription, right? Blood pressure prescription, heart prescription. Sometimes we have a surgery and we walk out of the hospital with a prescription. And that prescription is given to us for a short period of time. Sometimes maybe we have to take it consistently to keep certain pressures. I understand some of those things are needful. I'm talking about things like, you know, I've got to have that glass of wine before I go to bed. I just preach, I just got to have it. You don't understand. I've heard that recently. Just got to have a glass of wine before I go to bed. I've got to have that pill. I mean, preacher, I got to have the pill to get the edge off. Just the edge. No. You see, what you're missing is God doesn't want you to get the edge off. The edge, the edge that you feel that you're trying to get rid of, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit who's trying to get you to deal with the issue. And when you try to get rid of the edge, you're saying no to the Holy Spirit, which leads to blasphemy. Don't say no to the edge. You don't need the edge off. The reason we... We do these addictive things that, is that they assist us in avoiding things that God once dealt with. Deal with it. Don't sorcery it. Don't pharmacon it. Don't pharmacy it. Don't substance it. Deal with it. Deal with it. The Bible calls that sorceries. Number four. Neither repented they of their murders, their sorceries, nor their fornication. Sexual immorality is blinding sin. The Greek word here is the word, are you ready, church? Real easy. Pornia. What's that sound like? Pornography. Pornography. Denoting all manner of sexual sin. All manner of sexual sin. Sex is a joy-producing gift of God to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the boundaries of a lifetime commitment called marriage. Wake up and get that on the screen. Thank you. Let's, let's repeat that again. That's, that's, good. that's another one of those. Sentence, repeat. Sex is a joy-producing gift of God to be enjoyed by one man and one woman within the boundaries of a lifetime commitment called marriage. Well, pastor, I've got to talk to you after church because, you know, hey, I'm living with my boyfriend right now, but I mean, it's just, it, we're in a tough spot, and we're just, sin! Sin! Well, how far do you go with this, Pastor? I mean, come on now, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be, give me a little gray area here, because, you know, I, I really, right now, it's just cheaper to live together. Sin! Sin! Repent! Anything else but that is Sin! Anything else, just write in your notes, anything else but that is sin. 
That's the only thing that's not sin. Sex within the boundaries of one woman and one man in marriage for a lifetime commitment. Anything else is sin. Everything else is sin. I hear you rationalizing. Stop it. It's sin. And it's blinding sin. Number five, and I'm done. The last thing is interesting. He says, nor of their thefts, stealing is a blinding sin. Isn't it interesting that most of these are somehow woven within the Ten Commandments? Number eight is, thou shalt not steal. Don't steal. I don't steal. Taking time from your boss that you're paid for. Oh, well, I... I, I didn't know you meant that. Uh, taking money from the IRS is stealing. Taking the good name of another person by slander is stealing. Taking God's tithe is stealing. It's stealing. I don't steal. These are the things for which the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And if this does not strike in our hearts a a passion to want to prepare ourselves and, and, and to examine our salvation, and upon further examination, if we confirm that we're saved, begin to repent of our sins things in our lives that just are not becoming of a Christian. And then others in this room who have just, you've gotten to the place where it's just no big deal. You've hardened your heart. Nothing really moves you anymore. And this entire service was nice entertainment from a preacher that was well prepared and was entertaining and kept our attention. What's for lunch? You're missing it. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Come now and move upon our hearts. Are you hungry today for the spirit of the living God? So what do I do? Well, what did they do? They repented not. So what do I do, Pastor? Repent. Repent of idolatry. Repent of idolatry, which is simply loving anything more than God. Anything more important to God is idolatry. Anything. Anything. Repent of hatred. Brother Eric, it's just so hard because this guy, this girl, this person, you... ah. Repent. Repent of addiction. Addiction. Those illegal or legal substances, those pills that you're taking that nobody knows about, the secret sin in your office... The phone that you have that's got some spots that you're trying to make sure nobody sees. Nobody knows your code because if they get in, they're going to find... Repent of those addictions. Repent of sexual immorality. Stop living with your boyfriend. Stop living with your girlfriend. Stop having sex outside of marriage. Stop. Stop. Repent 
and start over. Let me tell you something. There's power in purity. There's power in purity. Amen. Amen. Hey, girls, keep your virginity. Amen. Come on, moms. How about it? Keep your virginity. There's power in that. The devil wants it. And there's a lot of hard hearts that want it. Oh, they want to steal it. Keep it. Keep it. Repent of stealing. God is right. I am wrong. I finally said it. Man, it feels better. Thank you, God. You're right. And I'm wrong. And Holy Spirit, I'm not saying no. I'm not walking out of here. I'm getting right. I'm repenting. I'm not going to harden my heart anymore. I'm going to let you have your way in my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed.